Well, we wrap it up, huh? How has your week been? Good? I um, want to thank uh, Neil and Melinda for letting us be a part of this. Um, we've known Neil and Melinda for a long time, and, um, and in recent years, got to know Jeremy and Katie and, and uh, came to love them. And, and so when Jeremy called me some months ago and asked if we'd be interested in doing this, I, I jumped at the opportunity. And I, I want to thank you for not only letting Dana and me be a part of this, but for letting us bring uh, our daughter Annie and her husband Jonathan and Lena. I'm sure you've met Lena. <laughs> and uh, uh, yesterday when I kind of told everyone, go, go to his workshop, I, I heard he had a good turnout over there. <laughs> and I heard he did a good job. So uh, uh, we're delighted that uh, they were able to join us. Um, I, I uh, want to thank the bunch from Chico. I had uh, dinner with them last night. I can't remember. Had a meal with them. And, uh, but uh, Tim and Amy and the bunch from Chico and, and had a great time with them. And then all the guys and gals from Germany, Martha and her crew from Germany had breakfast with them this morning. It, it's just so great. Because I, you know, I'm so impressed with all of you. Uh, uh, sharp young people and and uh, excited to see where God takes you on his journey for your life. What I've tried to do during my sessions is to communicate how I came to Christ and, and uh, the, what I'd call the formative years where we laid a foundation for life um, in the first session. In the last session, talking about Daniel, really was trying to give you a picture of how you could lay a foundation for your life and, and um, talked about how there are stages of our life where we're laying a foundation and then there are stages later on where we're building what becomes the visible superstructure and maybe the, the more public phase of what we do in life. Um, but that public phase has to be supported by a strong foundation and, and that's the stage you're in right now and the stage you're going to be in for, for several years, laying that foundation, building a strong foundation. Um, and today I want to talk about how we take take that out into the marketplace. You know, probably 90% of you are going to be in the marketplace in one form or another. You're going to be in a profession. You're going to be a homemaker. You're going to be a business man or woman. Uh, you're going to be out in the marketplace earning your, your day job is going to be uh, out in the world. And uh, I strongly encourage you before you leave today, if you've not already done it, put something in writing about what God's saying to you this week. You know, one thought, two thoughts, three thoughts. You know, my impression from the week at Hume Lake. Because what's going to happen, you're going to get on the bus, and you're going to go down the hill, and you'll have a great time on the bus, and then you'll get back home, and normal stuff hits you in the face. And, and, and you'll just get swept into the normal flow, and if you don't watch it, all this will become a distant memory. And so put something in writing about what God's saying to you, because you're more attuned to that right now than you're ever going to be. And uh, uh, your heart's more tender to that right now than it's ever going to be. And uh, so I encourage you to write, write something down. Um, when we talk about sharing our faith in the marketplace, for many of us, um, it's, it's really been a frustrating experience because how many of you grew up going to church? Let's see. Okay, put your hands down. How many did not grow up going to church? Okay, it's probably two-thirds, one-third. Um, 
when I grew up going to church, and I know that was 100 years ago, but uh, <laughs> when I grew up going to church, it, it almost felt like um, they were trying to put a guilt trip on you that you're supposed to do all these things, and if you didn't do them, then you felt bad. And so I felt bad a lot. Um, and and there, there's, there's kind of a tendency sometimes for us to think, well, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm not going to do this outreach. I'm not going to be sharing with these folks. I'm not going to lead this Bible study. I'm going to let, I'm going to let the paid staff do that. I'm going to let the professionals do that. And that's certainly a feeling uh, out in the community. Uh, one reason we're frustrated when we think about sharing our faith is, is that we tend to associate witnessing and ministry with programs. It, we think of it as something that takes place at a planned time. You know, it's Tuesday evening at seven o'clock. Uh, in a planned time at a certain place, uh, in a prescribed method, and somehow we've gotten the impression that we're supposed to go bring people in to, to our meeting, you know, to our church or to our uh, Christian challenge or whatever it is. And I don't think Jesus ever intended to, for us to bring people in. You, you didn't see Jesus going around inviting people to the synagogue, did you? No. What did he do? He went out and met people on their turf in their language, I mean, in, in their terminology, and... Um, started conversations with him. He, he generally did it with questions. You know, I, th I think of the woman at the well. He, he's in Samaria, which is a, a foreign country uh, to him. Um, Jews aren't supposed to go to Samaria. If they are in Samaria, they're not supposed to talk to anybody. And he's at a well, and it's midday, and this woman comes out there, and, and uh, the reason she's coming at midday is because she's not a respectable woman in the community. She's been married five times, and she's five times since she's living with a, another guy. And so what does Jesus do to her? He doesn't invite her to church. He doesn't invite her to synagogue. He doesn't even try to get her to accept him as her savior. He asks her for a drink of water. You know, he talks to her more or less on her terms and, and communicates with her. And I think that's what we ought to do. Uh, Jesus commanded us not to go bring them in, but for us to go where they are. And you guys live where they are. <laughs> you know, on college campuses, and, and uh, they're all around you. Um, another reason we tend to be frustrated when we consider sharing our faith is that we have a tendency to view conversion as the goal of ministry as an event, but instead, conversion is really a process. And you see that line there on your page. Uh, on the left is a minus 10, and that's a person with no awareness of God. In the middle is conversion, and that's where you go from minus one to plus one, and then on the far right is plus 10, where a person would reach maturity in Christ. Colossians 1.28 says, Him, speaking of Christ, Him we proclaim, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. So the goal is not to get people saved. Now that sounds weird, right? The goal... Rather, according to this verse, is what? A little louder. Maturity. We, we want people to move toward maturity in Christ. And so what we want people to do, between minus 10 and zero, there's really a minus nine and a minus eight. And, and if a person has no awareness of God, they'd be at a minus 10. That's just a person. And I've talked to some of you this week that you said, you know what? When I grew up, that's just not anything we ever thought about. That just wasn't a part of our thought process or our conversation. We didn't go to church, but more than that, we, 
we just weren't aware of God. We just didn't talk about God. We didn't think about God. That person would be a minus 10. <clears throat> if I can get that person to say, I'm an atheist, that's progress. <laughs> because an atheist says, I've considered it and there is no God. Okay? They're a minus nine, let's say. And so, what, what might a minus eight be? An agnostic. There is a God, but it makes no difference to me. Hey, folks, that's progress. <laughs> if we can move from not ever thinking about God to there is no God to there is a God, but it doesn't make any difference to me, that's progress. They're moving. And, and, and another way to put that is that's a step toward Jesus. may not seem like it, that's a step toward Jesus. We all know people that are searching for truth. We all know people, they, they would not say they're a believer. Um, they'd make no claim to faith. But they're at the stage in their life where they're kind of wrestling with it. And they're, they're, they're aware there's a God. They're, they wonder what that means to them. They're uh, aware of who Jesus is. They're not quite ready to <clears throat> trust Christ as, as their Savior, but, but they really want to know the truth. And that person might be a minus three or a minus two. But they're, they're taking steps toward Jesus. And the truth is, <clears throat> if you sit down, and I've done it, if you sit down on an airplane and share the gospel with somebody and they pray to receive Christ, you just happen to be there when they went from minus one to plus one. But somebody moved them along <clears throat> that, that path from minus 10 to minus nine to minus eight and to where when they sat in that plane next to you, they were at minus one. And so what we need to see is it's not our job. Can I save anybody? Can, can I make anyone pray a, a prayer of faith? No. Not only can I not do that, I'm not supposed to. It's not my job. Whose job is it to convict a person of sin and convince them of their need for Jesus? That's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? And, and so that's not my job. And, and, and if I get the message that, that uh, that's not my responsibility, then it suddenly lifts a big burden off of me. And all I got to do is just point people to Jesus and encourage them. Him we proclaim, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature in Christ. When they come to faith in Christ, we're not finished, right? Because we want them to reach maturity in Christ. So that means that once they profess Christ and they get baptized, then, then how would the Bible describe that person? They'd call them a what in Christ? A babe in Christ. Now, Lena, you've seen Lena around here. Lena is a, a year and a half. And she still needs a lot of um, protection and parenting, but she can walk. She's starting to talk. She knows how to find the food. Um, you know, uh, so... She's a toddler, okay? But when a person is a new Christian, they're a babe in Christ. And a little baby, when a, when a baby's first born, how much help do they need? Total. I mean, they, they need protection. They need cleaning. They need clothing. They need feeding. They can't do anything for themselves. And neither can we when we're a new Christian. We're a baby. We, we really need help knowing what to do and, and how to more or less how to get our first bottle of food, if I can put it that way. 
And, uh, and so that's our job to take that person and come alongside them, encourage them, and, and show them how to begin to grow in Christ and, and take those steps toward maturity in Christ. So the point is, we're supposed to encourage everyone along that road. I told this story yesterday to some of you at lunch, but I'll tell it again. When we were first starting in business, I was a young guy, 24, and we bought our first, over a 15-year period, we bought 15 companies. And this was the first one we bought in 1975. And, and the day we were inventorying their warehouse, the, the light bulb salesman from General Electric Company showed up. And, and they were a General Electric distributor, and, and they had General Electric goods in their inventory on consignment from General Electric. And so this guy showed up to inventory their goods. And his name was Derry Myers. We had never met him. And, uh, and Derry was a Christian. He was a church member, was active in his church, but that was about all he, he could figure out. Uh, and so we went to lunch. We took the crew to lunch and uh, went to a barbecue place, and there was maybe 15 people, and my brother says, Kirk, you want to say a prayer for the lunch? And so I say a prayer. And no, I didn't stand on a chair and prophesy in a loud voice or anything. It's just kind of, you know, normal. And uh, we went on with the lunch. And if Derry were to give you his testimony today, he would tell you that that lunch 37 years ago, 38 years ago, changed his life, was, was the turning point in his life because he had never seen guys in the business world that prayed. Something as simple as that. And, uh, and so he kind of came around and said, What's, he wanted to know what made us tick. And I was able to plug him into a Bible study with a friend and that got him going and his wife going. And uh, they've had a very fruitful uh, walk with Christ and ministry now for almost 40 years because of a simple prayer I said at lunch. And I, I had no, I didn't know he was paying attention, but he was. So what I did is I helped him take a step toward Christ. He was already a believer, but I helped him take a step toward Christ because our goal is to present every man mature in Christ. Another reason we're frustrated is we think it's our responsibility to win people. I've talked some about that, and that we're powerless to win people. John 1, 12 and 13 says he, speaking of God, gave power to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. For you to have a personal relationship with Christ is all God's idea. It's not our idea. He initiated it. It's all his idea. And not only is it his idea, but he gives us the power to do it. There's nothing, nothing that I can do to put myself in right relationship with God and nothing that you can do, and I can't do anything to help you. It, it's God doing it. Uh, Coloss uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 says, I planted, Paul, this is Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered. Talk, it's comparing this to kind of an agricultural analogy. I planted the seed. Another guy came along later, Apollos. He watered it. He nurtured it. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. And so we should see ourselves as, as, as seed sowers and nurturers and encouragers and helpers. Our job is to pray, to be sensitive to openness, to be available when the time is right, to be equipped to clearly present the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, years ago, we had a, uh, a monthly outreach luncheon, some, just some business guys in Oklahoma City, and we called it Second Tuesday, and it was a real original name because that's when we met. 
And uh, so once a month, and it was out at a, uh, at a uh, kind of a country club type of setting. And, and the deal was we would encourage men or women, but it was mostly men. Um, you, you come, you bring a friend, and the friend has to be either a person who's not a believer or you're not quite sure where they are, or maybe they're a Christian who's gotten away from God, okay? And there, there's a lot of people we know that we're not quite sure where they are, and this is a great conversation starter, okay? And we would have, it, it would last one hour. We, we had none of the forms of religion. We had no Bibles. We had no cards to fill out. We didn't have a prayer, okay? Um, we didn't want to do anything that would be a barrier to these, to these folks. But we'd have, we'd have a meal, and then we would have a speaker, and the speaker would be a, a business guy who would just share his own journey of faith. And, and he would, we would ask him, please don't use churchy language, but please give a clear presentation of the gospel. And so we did that for a number of years, and um, uh, one guy that I invited was a guy that my son played basketball with, a guy named Rick. And uh, so I invited him, took him to it, and, um, and then out of that, we had a, a, um, a ski trip that we did several times where we would, same kind of setup. One of the guys would invite a friend who's either not a believer or we don't know where he is. And we uh, went to Crested Butte, Colorado, where we had a home, and we'd go for, I, I think it wasn't a week, but maybe four, four, four or five days. So I invited this guy, Rick, and we told him, we said, because uh, they want to know what's the deal on this trip, you know, is it a bunch of weird guys or what? And, uh, and so we say, look, every night, uh, we'll, some, one guy will cook the meal, and then we'll have a different guy just share kind of his journey of, of uh, faith in his life. And that was innocuous enough that it didn't scare guys off. <clears throat> so we get there the first night, and we're going around the room and introducing ourselves and, you know, what we do for a living, and we're married and have three kids and all this stuff. And we get to Rick, and Rick says, well, I'm Rick and uh, married and have two kids and have a wonderful life. And I, I, uh, I don't know God and don't need God and I'm not interested in that, but I'm here because it's a free trip. And he, I think he expected us to, you know, gather around him and pray for him or something. But uh, we just kind of went on, okay, Bill, you're next. And, uh, and so Rick kind of went through the week. We got home and I... Uh, Asked Rick if he'd be interested in a, in a Bible study, and he was not interested. And sometime later, I asked if he'd be interested in, if I could give him a Bible so they could read it, and he wasn't interested. But about a year later, well, sometime later, Rick says, hey, can I come to that luncheon by myself? And I said, yeah, you can come anytime. So Rick started coming by himself to the luncheon. And then he got in a Bible study with one of the other guys. The guy was having a weekly Bible study, and so Rick starts showing up at his Bible study. So about a year after the ski trip, Rick calls me up one day and he says, um, hey, I just wanted you to know uh, my wife and I are reading the Bible every night before we go to bed. I said, that's good. And then about a year after that, Rick calls me one week and he says, hey, I'm getting baptized Sunday night. My point is, <clears throat> if it's my job to win Rick, Rick to Christ, I feel like an abject failure. But it's not my job. God uses... God brought different guys into Rick's life at different times to help him move along that path. And at some point, Rick trusted Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, Colossians 4, 3, and 4 says, Pray for us also that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ that I may make it clear. 
So our job is to pray, and our job is to watch for open doors. And we'll talk some about when those open doors happen in people's lives. There's several reasons we're ineffective in sharing our faith. One is we're living in our own strength rather than in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You know, a casual Christian will never be an effective witness. His life speaks louder than his words. And the truth is, uh, people on your campus are watching you. Because they really are, I think it's normal for a college student to try to figure life out and to be searching for truth. And there's a lot of truth claims out there. And if they know that you make the truth claim that Jesus is God and Jesus is the way to God, then they're going to watch you and see if the rest of your life stacks up with that. Another is you, you can't give away that which you do not possess and, and an unbeliever can spot a phony a mile away. And so if, if you're professing Christ while you live like everyone else, uh, sin will short-circuit the power of the Spirit in your life and in your witness. Look at the book of Acts. In Acts 1, the, the total number of followers that Christ had uh, when he left was about 120 people. And, and really, they weren't in all that great a shape. If you recall the night that he was crucified, uh, the night, night he was tried before he was crucified, all of his disciples fled. Uh, we give Peter a hard time for hanging out in the courtyard of the, the high priest, but truth is he was closer than most of the others. The, the others were long gone. And, and even after Jesus was resurrected, the disciples went back to fishing. They, I think they didn't know what to think of this. But by the fourth chapter of Acts, fourth chap, chapter of Acts, the unbelievers could not help but recognize in Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples, couldn't help but recognize that they had been with Jesus. And at that time, they had no evangelism schools. They had no retreats like this. They had no witnessing courses. They had no pressure exerted on them. And you get down to verse 19 and 20 in Acts 4, and, and they tell Peter and John, they said, Okay, look, we'll let you go, but don't talk any more about this Jesus. And, and Peter and John said, you know, whether it's right in sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, but we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. We, we can't be quiet about it. We believe it so sincerely. So they, these disciples basically had gone at that point from living in their strength to living in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Another reason we're ineffective is we don't intend to be effective. If, if you look at how we approach business or a professional career or a sales goal, we plan, we adapt, we uh, change our message, we change our location, we change our schedule, we change relationships. We do all that in order to accomplish our objective. You know, typically, if, if you had a business that was trying to penetrate a market, they would define their target market then they'd do whatever they had to do to get a foot in the door. They'd get to know people. They'd build relationships. They'd take people to lunch. I had a banker that would stop by our office every month for about four years before we ever did business with him. He just kept coming back, give us pencils and pens and stuff like that. But finally, one time when we needed another bank, we thought, well, let's call that guy's bank. You know, he built the relationship. You try to discover what your customers' needs are, and then you, mac, you match your products 
to their need. You find a way to meet their need. That's, why, that's the way you do it in the business world. And that's the way we need to do it, really, as believers. We need to look at our market. You know, let's say that you're thinking about the Chico State campus. Well, look, look at that market. Begin to build relationships with those people. Try to understand what their needs are. Chico's all sitting over here, right? Okay. Try to understand what their needs are. And then find a way to show them that Jesus meets their needs. We'll talk some about times in people's lives when, when that's the case. Well, how can we change our mindset in order to effectively use our job or our career, our, our place in life as a springboard for ministry? One, cultivate relationships. And this is probably not as much of a problem with you guys as it is for people out in the, um, who've gotten married and they're out in, in the real world. But it's typical out in the real world that they really don't, once, once they become Christians and they're in the Christian subculture, they really don't build relationships with people that aren't Christians. And before you know it, they don't know anyone who's not a Christian well enough to invite them over for dinner or for that person to invite them over for dinner. And so you have to cultivate relationships. And that means it's probably more fun to hang out with your Christian friends. But you have to say, you know what, I'm going to intentionally build relationships with these folks over here. And the first thing you do is pray about it. Um, I had a, there are many times in my life when I have prayed that God would uh, give me a heart for lost people and that he'd give me open doors with them. And on one such occasion, I was praying that prayer. And in the course of my business, I came in contact with the guy who, who ran the telephone company for our state. And in the course of a business meeting with him, I don't know why, he shares with me that he's really struggling in his marriage and he and his wife are, are uh, going to a marriage counselor. And so he just opens up like that. And so I was able to invite him to get in a Bible study with me. And for some time, Jim and I met in a weekly Bible study in his office. So pray for open doors. And second, find common ground. I've mentioned that Jesus met people on their turf. He met them where they were. Um, he dealt with them on grounds where they had needs and, and they were comfortable. So with fishermen, what, what did he do with fishermen? They were out fishing all night and couldn't catch anything. He filled their nets. He said, throw it out on the other side and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And they think, what's the deal with this guy? With the Samaritan woman, he, he's asked for a drink of water and he said, I'll give you living water so you'll never thirst again. Of course, he was talking about you never thirst spiritually again. With the crowd, you know, the 4,000 and the 5,000, they, they had no food to eat. So he met their temporal need for food, but then he gave them uh, the bread of life that uh, they'd never hunger again if they had that. Then Martha, uh, you remember Lazarus died, and, and so Jesus goes there, and there's Mary and Martha, his sisters, and Martha was grieving her, her brother's death, and, and he said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. So he met them where they were, and then he found a way to meet their need. There's lots of ways we can develop common interests with people. I'll tell you, one of the best at this is um, our son and his wife, Grant and Jen. Grant is 37. They live, um, they moved a couple of years ago down to Eufaula, Oklahoma. It's a, a, a lake in eastern Oklahoma. And they're building a resort community there that our company is developing. And the way I've described that is, 
if, if you're building a community, there's the hardware and the software. The hardware is the roads and the water system and the sewer system and, and the parks and, and all, all of the things that you do in development work. But what really makes it tick is the software. And the software is Grant and Jen and their relationships. And so Jen, they live there now. They have five kids. And um, they will, she will have a cooking class. And she'll invite ladies from around our community and, and around the area. And they'll show up at Jen's house once a month or so, and they'll have a cooking class. Well, she's building relationships. Some of those girls are believers. Some of them aren't. Um, there is no... Um, Ballet dance studio, as you can imagine, in a little town, little community with uh, 15 homes and 50 people. But we have an extra building that um, we don't need right now. It's a kind of a garage type of thing. And Grant said, hey, Dad, what do you think if we put mirrors on one wall and a rail and we can have a ballet dance studio and we can bring in a, a teacher to teach ballet dance once a week to the little girls? That meets the need. It builds relationships. And so there's all kinds of ways to find um, common ground with people. And, and then you build that relationship, you earn their trust, and sooner or later they're going to wonder what makes you tick. They're going to wonder why you're giving and not asking for anything. There's all kinds of, 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 of affinity groups that we have. Now, some of you are studying for, you know, uh, film production. Some of you are, are engineers and um, some of you are in accounting. There's no one who can communicate with an engineer better than another engineer. I mean, you're, you're, you're under the tent. You're, you're one of them. You understand the language. Um, you, can, you can go places with people in your professional affinity groups that your pastor could never go. Because you're with them. They trust you. They're going to open up to you. When they're, you know, they're going to talk about their marriage. They're going to talk about their kids. They're going to talk about the struggles they're having, the challenges they're having. Um, Grant, um, when he was in Oklahoma City, he was in his late 20s when he, let's see, mid-20s, he moved back to Oklahoma City. And so he started a, a club called the Downtown Club. He and two or three friends started the Downtown Club. And the Downtown Club was for started with guys, I think there's some ladies in it now, um, under 40. When you turn 40, they kick you out. And, um, and it was kind of the alternative to the downtown Rotary Club. In Oklahoma City, the club to be in is the downtown Rotary Club. And the downtown Rotary Club uh, has like 275 people show up for lunch every Tuesday. Well, these guys didn't want to be a part of that, so they started their own deal. They meet once a month. At the time I was mayor, uh, one of the other guys that started, his father-in-law was the governor. And so, you know, if your son calls you to come speak, you go speak. And so I'd go speak to him. The governor would go speak to him. They'll have the president of the University of Oklahoma come speak to him. Um, the athletic director, the, the attorney general, the head of the big corporations go speak. Once a month, they have a great speaker. And I think they limited the downtown club now to 75 members, if I'm not wrong. And they they perpetually have a waiting list to get into the downtown club. Well, the downtown club is not a Christian organization. In fact, when Grant started it, he wanted to have a prayer, just open their meal, and the other guys go, oh, no, Grant, back off, man. You're coming on way too strong. And, uh, and so it, it's purely a social organization. But listen to what happened out of that. 
These guys that were kind of the core of the downtown club are really, honestly, they're now in their mid-30s. They are emerging already, and they will be the leaders of our city. One of those guys will be the mayor, probably. Um, one of them already ran for the attorney general of our state. Uh, didn't get there, but he ran statewide. Um, these are sharp leaders. And so Grant starts the downtown club, and they kind of push back on having a prayer. But then he, he starts a Bible study, and I think they meet every other week. And they got a fellow that uh, is with a group called Search Ministries. Of, of, it's, it's a Christian ministry that's kind of apologetics-based. He leads it. Ken Mendenhall leads it. And Ken, Ken was an All-American at the University of Oklahoma, had a 10-year career in the, in the NFL. So when Ken shows up, young men listen. And so Grant invites all these guys from the core of the downtown club to be in this Bible study. This has now been going for probably seven or eight years. Most of these guys, other than Grant, were what I would call nominal Christians if they were believers at all. Uh, and a lot of them were not believers when, when they started. But because of who's inviting them and because of who's teaching, they show up for the Bible study. And before you know it, these guys are doing things like reading through the Bible in 90 days. You know, there's a program for that, and these guys are doing that. And, and they're talking about their faith just out in normal conversation. And uh, during these years, one of them had a little boy die of a disease when he was, you know, one and a half years old. They walked through that together. Um, you know, they've, they've been through ups and downs in the economic cycle together. They've been through elections, campaigns, positive and negative together. Um, these guys now that, that used to say, oh, Grant, don't pray at lunch, now they're open about their faith as they are the emerging leaders of our city. And it came out of a luncheon that was not a Christian luncheon, but then followed on with a Bible study. You're trying to build bridges of common interest with people. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to build trust and build bridges. The other areas of, of common interest like sports, you know, tennis, basketball, whatever. Children's activity, when you, when you get married and you have kids, then your children's activity will become one of the centers of your life and, and you'll be able to build relationships around that. And then hobbies like hunting, fishing. Um, Grant had the guys from the, from the Bible study down to like you follow to the development and uh, uh, had a quail hunt down there. Even got some quail and got them all confused and turned them loose so they could catch them or <laughs> shoot them. Find common ground. Another key to cultivating relationships is to listen, don't lecture. A, a great way to uh, start conversation is with questions. And I, I don't have them handy, but get online. You can find lists of 10 to 12 questions that are great questions to ask people that get conversations turned around to matters of faith. One of them, uh, a great question, is where would you say you are on your journey of faith? I mean, I've asked that this week to people in this room. Okay, where would you say you are on your journey of faith? Is there a wrong answer to that? There's no wrong answer. It's not intimidating. I think everyone, no matter where they are, they think they're on a journey of faith. And so 
You ask that question, they go, well, I'm kind of, and it gets the conversation going. So learn how to ask questions and let that person tell you where they are and where their struggles are and what the points of resistance are. I mentioned Search Ministries. They have a, um, a tool they call an open forum, and we've hosted and participated in these several times. Um, you have, you meet for, I think, three weeks with a core group is about uh, 10 or so Christian couples. Um, you meet for about three weeks because we have to be trained to not act like, to not act churchy. We have to clean up our language, uh, you know, get words like sanctification and uh, redemption out of there. Um, and, uh, and, and be told basically to be quiet. When we have the conversation, basically, they don't want to hear from us. And so then we invite friends. And we invite friends, again, who either they're not believers or we don't know where they are. Um, and we invite them to a discussion series, an open forum, and we're going to talk about any issue related to life and God. Well, do you know what? People will show up for that. It, it's amazing. Because most of the people that you know that are the most antagonistic against the cause of Christ believe they're right and they don't mind telling you what they think. And so when I invite people like that, I go, uh, you know, we want to have a discussion about issues related to life and God. And I know you think a lot about things like that and, and don't mind sharing what you think. And so we'd love to have you. And they go, man, I'd love to be there. And so it's in someone's home and it's a social occasion. You serve a meal. It's for four weeks. And the promise is the discussion will start at 730 and it'll end at 8.30. And we have a moderator. Um, uh, it's a discussion, not a lecture. And, and at the end of the discussion, if, if, if we believe the Bible has a perspective on the issue we're talking about, then the moderator will share what he believes the Bible says about it. You go for four weeks. It's a great door opener for getting people, getting the discussion out there about matters of faith. Another key to cultivating relationships is to love unconditionally. People don't want to be the target of our program. They don't want to feel used. And, and so if we love people, they're going to be watching to see if there are strings attached to that. You know, do I have to join your club? Do I have to show up at your deal? Um, you know, what's, what are the strings? So love unconditionally. And give it lots of time. Sometimes it takes years. There are times of opportunity, like a birth. Uh, you know, we, we rejoice in a birth, but really it's quite stressful for the family directly involved. I mean, it, it's, it's tough. Uh, times of death, loss of a job. When someone's in the hospital, if there are family problems. One of the guys that, that taught me, told me, that if you love someone and they're having a time of need like these, then you're there. You show up. If they're in the hospital, you go there. Now, you don't have to camp out, but, but go there. Um, if, if they have um, a, 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 a death in the family, you go there. When my sister died 25 years ago, some of my best friends were out in Palm Springs playing golf. And when they heard that she died, they got on the airplane, cut their golf vacation short, flew back to Oklahoma City just to be with us. And I remember it 25 years ago. 
you remember who shows up in your time of need. And people that love you show up. Well, if we're going to share our faith, we need to plan creative opportunities. I've mentioned social occasions. Uh, you can create special events like our second Tuesday lunch. Um, you can do special trips like the ski trip we took. And an evangelistic Bible study. Evangelistic Bible study is non-threatening. Um, you uh, try to have an easy to understand translation. You, you refer to page numbers instead of chapter and verse because they don't know what chapter and verse means. Uh, so make it to where they're comfortable. Another key is to try, don't try to go it alone. Now, I was speaking at breakfast with a uh, group from Germany today, and, and we just talked about how difficult it is if you're really trying to live the Christ, Christian life alone. And, and I would say if you're trying to uh, cultivate relationships and, and share Christ out in the marketplace alone, you'll find it difficult. And it's much easier if you're part of a team, just a small group that uh, is working on it together. Well, D.L. Moody was a great pastor and uh, evangelist back in the 1800s. And uh, one day a man came up to him and, and told him he didn't like the way that, that uh, Moody shared his faith. And Moody says, well, tell me, how do you share your faith? And the man admitted that he really didn't. And Moody said, well, well I like the way I share my faith better than the way you don't. <laughs> well... That's the key. You know, it, Christ hasn't called us to win people to him, but he has called us to be salt and light. And we, do, we, we, we are salt and light as we're out there amongst people. We're rubbing up against them. Uh, at the end of the other night, I was looking at a salt shaker and talking. You know, salt is great in the right quantity. It's not good if there's no salt, and it's bad if there's too much salt. And so we're sensitive to that. I would encourage you as you think about this, pray that God will give you heart to share your life with others. And then begin to pray by name for people that God puts on your heart. And pray that God would uh, give you an opportunity to help them take a step toward Christ. So first pray and then begin to pray, pray then begin to cultivate relationships. Just build relationships and uh, build it with a... Um, for the purpose of, of sharing your life with them, but without strings attached. Then be creative, sensitive, and available. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Well, to wrap up, uh, we've really enjoyed being with you guys this week. I hope that... Uh, 20 years from now or 40 years from now, you can look back on your week at Hume Lake and say that God used that to really move you forward in a significant way. And if, if that's true, then it'll all be worth it. Let me pray for us.